This is Marcus Ogden, former NFL player with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Baltimore Ravens, Buffalo Bills, and Tennessee Titans. You are listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the FLA. This episode contains an archival interview that I did with linebacker Tommy Nobis back in 2013. Nobis was the first player drafted by the Atlanta Falcons and played for the team from 1966 through 1976. Mr. Falcon won Rookie of the Year honors, went to five Pro Bowls, and is part of the NFL's all-decade team of the 1960s. He was inducted into the Texas Longhorn Hall of Honor in 1976 was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1981, and was inducted into the State of Texas Hall of Fame, the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, the San Antonio Sports Hall of Fame, and the Atlanta Sports Hall of Fame. You'll notice one thing missing from that list, induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. My humble opinion, Novus deserves induction. After football, Novus co-founded the Tommy Novus Center to help youth and adults with disabilities get job training, employment, and vocational support. He was awarded the Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. Award for his work with the Georgia Special Olympics and was named NFL Man of the Year. Tommy Nobis passed away in 2017 at the age of 74. It was determined that he suffered from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we will focus on linebackers who earned spots on the 1960s All-Decade team. Now let's get to our interview with Tommy Nobis. First thing is, I know that you played linebacker and offensive guard while you were in college, uh, and I know you earned All-America honors for both of those positions. Is there one position that you liked over the other, or did you enjoy playing both positions? <laughs> well, uh, <coughs> linebacker was a little more fun, uh, exciting and so forth, you know, the line, the offensive line is very important to uh, uh, what your team's going to do, and uh, we had a real good offensive line when I played there, and uh, I was proud of being a part of that, but no, the excitement for me was, you know, stopping a guy for no gain or not stop copping a guy and causing him to fumble or something like that it, or picking off an interception. There was just uh, playing linebacker, <clears throat> which I played, uh, there was opportunities to, you know, really uh, help your team, and uh, the excitement was there. Now, what type of defense did you play when you were in college? Was it a 4-3? Was it a 5-3? Uh, it wasn't a... Uh, we we played we shifted around a little bit. Uh, it was probably you you said five three. Mm -hmm. it, I believe it was a five three. It could have been a five four. Okay. But uh, no, we we uh, the linebackers shifted around pretty good, and there was you know bringing different secondary. You know, your times you end up with five defensive backs, and other times you maybe end up with three defensive backs. But. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we we mixed it up. It was the conference uh, was naturally more running than passing, and there were some teams that did pass a good bit, but most of it was running. Now, other than middle linebacker.
linebacker, did you also move more into like a middle guard position too as you were kind of morphing around with the defenses? Or strictly middle uh, linebacker? Uh, just the, in, it was really with Texas, it was more of an inside linebacker. You know, we didn't have what I grew to know uh, as a middle linebacker in pro ball. Of, uh, they call it a 4-3 defense where you have four down linemen and, and three linebackers, two outside and one middle mm -hmm. on the inside linebacker. Uh, we didn't play a lot of that defense at Texas. It was more, again, we geared up to the run, and of course you put uh, more linemen in, bring in more big guys, and, and uh, we, we did that. But uh, Now, when you started college, did you think that you'd be making it into the pros? I know, but definitely by the end, uh, you're one of the best linebackers, not the best player you know, in college at the time, but when you started college, did you know you'd be getting into the pros? No, of course that was a, you know, you want to call it a dream or <clears throat> that was a goal I had was to, to uh, you know, the, you had to set your priorities. And Coach Rawl, uh, Daryl Rawl at Texas was real good about talking about priorities, setting your priorities of what they need to be. And if you're playing a team sport, which certainly football is, uh, your priorities ought to be geared number one around the team. And uh, we were coached that way, and, and most of us thought that way, that, you know, our goals are, uh, initially were certainly to help the team and help the team, you know, win each week. And uh, if you win each week, then, then you're, you know, you're, you're probably talking about a national championship or, or at least a conference championship. Uh, so that's, you know, that's uh, the way I was coached. and. And uh, and brought up really at home with my dad too. He he, he uh, talked a whole lot like uh, Coach Rawl and, and taught me uh, things that you know if you're going to play uh, a team sport, which football is, then you know you got to be you hold up your end of the deal, and and that's what I always try to do is to hold up my end of the deal. How was it breaking into the NFL as a true middle linebacker with contemporaries like, you know, Dick Buckus and Ray Nitschke? Well, uh, I certainly knew who those people were and, and, and knew they were good football players and uh, uh, on the NFL on the pro level. Uh, and, you know, I was stepping up from major college football and, and going to try to make it in on the pro level. And, and of, course, of course, those were the guys that, you know, I would get, uh, we used to have a 16-millimeter film that we'd watch on the on opposing team coming up from week to week. And uh, we would get, our coaches would have film build up uh, on different players and different whatever. And, and uh, if I could find film of any sort that was, uh, that had a Butkus or a Nischke type player in it, you know, that was a, a film that I certainly really studied. And because uh, they were outstanding, you know, during that time, and, and they would probably be outstanding uh, any time. <clears throat> you know, if they were uh, playing today, I'm sure they would, they, they would be outstanding just because of their will, uh, uh, you know, to, to be a good player. And uh, they certainly had that. Now, you were drafted by both the Falcons and the Oilers. What made you choose the Falcons over the Oilers? Well, the NF, 
wanted to take a shot at trying to make it, you know, with, uh, with the so-called, at that time, better teams uh, were. And, uh, and, you know, that was uh, a dream come true for me when Atlanta uh, chose me, and then I was able to work that out. Now, in 1968, Norm Van Brocklin took over as the head coach. Uh, tell me what he was like as a head coach. Well, see, Norm, uh, he, he was an old school uh, guy, uh, quote unquote. Uh, he, uh, you know, he just, uh, you, you know, you did it his way, and, and uh, our, I remember, he, I think he said a couple of times that you either do it my way or it's the highway. take a quick break then get back to our interview with tommy nobis if you like what you're hearing on the official football learning academy podcast make sure you check out our website at www.football-learning-academy.com there you'll find additional interviews as well as videos on the history of this great sport an important note a portion of all proceeds generated at the football learning academy go to help retired players in need now let's get back to our interview with tommy nobis now, I was looking at the Nobis Works website, and it said that uh, the 1973 Monday night game between the Falcons and the Vikings was one of the most exciting games of your career. Uh, can you tell me why that game was so special for you? Well, you know, you, you, the Vikings have such a tradition and uh, with their fans and, and everything. It, it, uh, the tradition is there. And they have, you know, they have won more games, I would think. I hadn't gone back and checked the record all the way 
think if you did, you'd find out that they won a lot more games than they lost, uh, even though they had a tough time when they started out as a franchise, too. I do remember that. Um, but anyways, once they got established, you know, they have pretty well uh, off and on been in contention for, you know, their division and, and uh, uh, make the playoffs and so forth. So, uh, no, that, that uh, uh, you know, that, that was a special team. And, and when I thought about them, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I just thought about winning and, and all the tradition. Uh, I, I, anytime you find a winning, you go back and you look at the Dallas Cowboys or you go back and look at the Green Bay Packers or you go back and look at the Baltimore Colts when they had Johnny Unitas and that group. to retire from playing after the 76 season? Was it a buildup of injuries? Was there other things going on? No, it was, you know, uh, I had played uh, 11 years, I guess it was, and uh, the uh, old body had taken a pretty good beating. You think about major college football, and you think about pro football, uh, the, uh, and you think about playing the position I played, which was a contact whether you were given the contact or you were have, you were receiving the contact, uh, there wasn't many plays where there wasn't some contact involved. Uh, but no, it was. Uh, most guys know when you know it's time, and uh, the smart ones go ahead and, and close it out and move on to whatever is next in line for for them. Now, after you retired as a player, I know you went to the Falcons front office. Was that immediately after you retired, or was there a delay between the two? No, it, it was pretty much right after I retired. The uh, Falcons had uh, Mr. Smith, the owner, Rankin Smith Sr., the owner of the team. Uh, I always had a uh, relationship with him, and I like to think it was a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, he respected me, and I respected him. And, uh, you know, he made a statement somewhere along the way that when I decided to retire, he'd like to talk to me about staying with the organization. And, of course, that was something I, I really welcomed. Uh, I was a uh, physical education, a PE major in college, and, uh, and I always wanted to be a coach. And uh, But uh, if I couldn't be a coach, then working with a professional organization and working around coaches and players and stuff, I felt like that I, you know, had a chance at, at learning and succeeding and, and something in that area. So um, it, it was just an opportunity, a potential opportunity at that time that I saw. That, uh, and so, you know, it, it, uh, it worked out well for, I would like to thank for the Falcons, and it certainly worked out well for the Nobles family. Now, what was your role with the organization? Uh, over the years, I did all kinds of things, uh, everything from, uh, I never coached. Uh, I would help some at practice with holding dummies. And <laughs> you know, I, I did help some with the coaching, but I never really was a coach. 
like that that is, is certainly very important to the success of any professional team. You got to have a good scouting program and one that that where the men are doing the work out there. That it's it's uh, something that does not get the credit that it really deserves. All the effort and time and, and the money, uh, the budget that uh, you look at the scouting budget and it's, it's sizable because you. I know when I was scouting, we'd, we'd always have probably somewhere around five men that did nothing but scout, and that means go out and watch games and go into schools and visit players and coaches and, and things like that. Uh, but it was exciting for me at the time, and and uh, uh, the thing that that uh, I didn't like about it so much, and uh, it's hard to some people, you know, would say, oh man, that would be great to do that, was, was the travel where, you know, you were in, you could be at the University of Texas uh, one day, and then the next day you could be at the University of Oklahoma, or you could be at Southern California, or, or wherever, and uh, that travel took a toll on me, and, and uh, I got out of that, at, you know, after a while, and, and, and I was, uh, my wife and I were building with my family, and and uh, to be on the road four or five days a week uh, was not the ideal situation for that either. So I got out of the scouting uh, uh, for, you know, I think good reasons. And uh, thank goodness the, the Falcons went along with my decision. So what did you do after the scouting? Uh, I was um, like working the, the marketing department. Uh, people. When you think about it, uh, as soon as you think about it, you, you say, oh, yeah, I understand that. But, no, there's a, a real marketing effort that each team does in selling their, their logo and the identity to be involved with a pro team, with an NFL team. And, uh, you know, of course, teams that win have a lot easier time of selling that, that relationship. <laughs> uh, uh, and... You know, going out and, and, and at a time and trying to sell the Falcons uh, was tough. But uh, it was the NFL, and it was the way that that, that that businesses in the Atlanta area could become associated. And, you know, there were some people, win or lose, that were truly Falcon fans. And a lot of those, those fans were, were business people. And, and uh, thank goodness, because it made my job a lot easier. Now, how long were you in the front office of the Falcons? Uh, you know, it sounds maybe silly for me not but uh, I want to say that I worked in the front office, and I did go out and scout, uh -huh. but I worked in the front office like for about five years, I believe it was, okay. and then I did go out and scout some for a couple of years, and uh, then we established a uh, scouting department which most teams did uh, and that's where you had uh, several individuals that that kept, kept track of all the players on the other teams, the other NFL team because uh, there would be times when uh, teams would cut a player or teams would try to trade a player and you would need information if your team was going to get involved with a trade or a cut or whatever in picking up or dealing for a player, then you need to have information, updated information on that. So uh, I, I was one of the, the people in our 
Now, are you still active with them? Try to be as active. Mm -hmm. You know, what I have an understanding with our our committee there, uh, our executive committee, I guess you'd say, that uh, are really made up primarily of, of uh, key workers at the center, the actual employees of the center, and uh, along with the key volunteers, uh, people, men and women, that have, have recognized that the real need, and for one reason or another, they have raised their hand and said, look, I want to be involved. And they, we get them on our board real quick. They become a, a director of the center. Mm -hmm. uh, we find a, a business person that understands what you know business is all about, and, and uh, you know their qualifications do not have to be that they they own and operate their own business or whatever. It just has they have to have the you know the desire to help others uh, get a job. Mm -hmm. The basic thing of, of becoming employed and what it takes uh, to remain employed. Okay, what are you doing now with your free time? Uh, talking to you on the phone. <laughs> no, I. Uh, it's interesting that you uh, were to ask that. I, you know, I, from time to time, I've, I've got different projects that I get involved in. Most of them are nonprofit, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. And just like with a center. Uh, but I have, you know, I have friends that, that have different things they're involved in. I try to help. They, most of my friends have helped me over the years, so I'll try to end up helping them. But I don't have to look too far to, to get involved with, with, uh, with things. I've got uh, letters coming in and phone calls coming in and people, uh, you know, either wanting advice or wanting some kind of help or whatever. And where I feel that I can be of help, and I, I try to do it, uh, you know, whatever that request may be. Now, I know you were pretty active with the Georgia Special Olympics. Are you still working with them at all? Yeah, I've, for years I was on the board, and, of course, I was the title of the state coach and, and, and different things. But the Special Olympics is what got me involved with, with young people that, that needed help in some way. The Special Olympics is an organized recreational program for people with disabilities. And, uh, and I could certainly relate to that because recreation was a big part of my life and playing sports and whatever. And I saw what it could do uh, for me. And then here you had people that were needing opportunities to have this recreation and, and a lot of cases were not getting it. And, uh, so, you know, that's why I got involved and I saw, you know, the good things that can come out of uh, learning how to work. Uh, you know, all the, the principles of, 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 of having a good team are good. You know, if you follow those principles and, and you know, are a good team player, then more than likely you'll, you'll be able to go out with your own life and uh, uh, take care of uh, the things that are required for you to be successful. All the quotes that I've read from you regarding uh, you not being inducted into Pro Football Hall of Fame, you really express no bitterness at all about it. Do you think you're going to get inducted one day? <laughs> well, if you got a vote, I'd appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, that, that, that is not a mystery to me. I, uh, just the, the thing is, I, I see people that are inducted uh, annually. 
mentally and and uh, in most cases I you know I I feel like it's well deserved that the people that are being inducted or have been inducted you know you think about the number of men that play that game and the number of men that that had outstanding careers and and uh, uh, the number of men that that really deserve that kind of recognition and they haven't received it there are a lot of guys out there so you know I may be one of those depending on you know what you think about my abilities and, and what I did but you know, again I may not be one of those but uh, you know it's the fact that uh, you asked me that question that question is certainly very important to me and, uh, the NFL was a big part of my life and and being a big part of my life, uh, I, as, as with so many young men uh, that have that opportunity, you know, to hold on to that commitment. And, and uh, you know, if somebody wants to recognize me for, for having that commitment, then, you know, it certainly would make me feel good. Because, it, you know, you don't have to always receive a paycheck or receive a a gift or whatever, but recognition uh, of some sort uh, uh, is very meaningful, and I found that to be, you know, more valuable to me than, than um, putting a dollar in the bank or whatever. I hope that you enjoyed our interview with Mr. Falcon, Tommy Nobis, but we're not done. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we'll discuss the linebackers who earned spots on the 1960s All-Decade Team. Outside of Tommy Novus, you have Hall of Famer Dick Butkus, who recently passed away. In my opinion, one of the greatest middle linebackers in pro football history. His fierceness and aggressiveness were legendary over his nine years with the Chicago Bears from 1965 through 1973. Many media outlets have him as one of the greatest players, not greatest linebackers, but greatest players in pro football history. Next, you have Hall of Famer Ray Nitschke who played for the Green Bay Packers from 1958 through 1972. Nitschke was the anchor of the Lombardi-era Packers and won most valuable player honors for the 1962 NFL Championship game. Like Dick Butkus, he went to the University of Illinois. You also have Hall of Famer Dave Robinson, who also played for the Green Bay Packers, playing from 1963 through 1972, and with Washington from 1973 through 1974. Robinson was drafted by the National Football League, American Football League, and Canadian Football League. He decided to play for the Packers. Along with Ray Nitschke and Leroy Caffey, they were considered by some to be one of the best overall linebacking cores in history. Twelve seasons and three Pro Bowls later, Robinson had his Hall of Fame resume. Finally, you have Larry Morris, who played from 1955 through 1966 for the Los Angeles Rams, Chicago Bears, and Atlanta Falcons. Morris was a teammate of Dick Butkus in 1965, and a teammate of Tommy Nobis in 1966. Larry Morris and Tommy Nobis are the only linebackers from that all-decade team not to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. While this team is Green Bay heavy, they were the best team in the NFL throughout that decade. Every defensive position except tackle had a member from the Packers representing it. Similarly, on offense, only tight end and split end did not have a Packer representative. We will cover other all-decade teams in future episodes of this podcast. But that's all that we have for this episode. Stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes. You can find the links at the Football Learning Academy website 
at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all podcast episodes, but you'll find other fascinating interviews and classes. An important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast.